Okay. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. This is uh, the first part of this chapter we had talked about was Ephesians chapter 4 is about unity. Ephesians chapter 4. The focus is going to be verse 3, but we'll talk about chapter 4 here. Okay, so... I'm going to read and start at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as we are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But in every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith, and with the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. So <clears throat> I wanted to camp a little bit more in this area of unity. We had talked... Um, some last week about accountability. Um, and this is a little bit more under the headline of vulnerability. Because in order to have, I think, sp specifically talking about if we're going to have um, accountability, there has to be vulnerability. And so in James, he tells us to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another that we may be healed. And so there has to be something in our relationships as Christians and brothers and sisters that is so close that we can be vulnerable with one another. And the reality is, is that probably most of us struggle to find one person that we can really say, I feel like I can give you the intimate details of my life and it'd be safe and it'd be rewarding in the end. And so I was thinking about this and I was like, so to me, when it comes to the idea of vulnerability, and unity, we can't, we can't decategorize them or separate them. We can't put them away from one another and say, we can have a unity, but we don't have to be vulnerable. We don't have to have a relationship tight and close-knit to where we can, we can share the, the deep details of our life and work through that together. And because of that reason, 
I think sometimes as much as we value unity and we've even preached about our sermons are out there, we really miss the whole aspect of what it's all about because we don't realize one of the main things is the hardest thing. So when we really talk about unity, it's hard. Unity is hard because of what it demands, what it requires of us. And there's a reason why it's hard because in the world we live, there's hardly anything that's safe. Even in the church in many ways, not in this church of course, but in the church, it's unsafe. I've been in situations, scenarios, and I wonder if we went around here, I'm not going to do that, but if we talked just in among us, how many of us can how many of us can just by a show of hands say, I've had some hard experience that, that were led to a feeling of unsafety. Not necessarily spiritually, but in my life I felt like I've been hurt or had something happen to me that would be unsafe. How many of us could say that? I think everybody in this room, and if we filled every seat, I'd be surprised if there's one person in the world that couldn't say, I've had a damaging experience at some point in my life. Part of the reason why we love Jesus as our Savior, because who else in the world is going to get us through those obstacles? And some of them, and you know, there's some, there's some stories out there. Some of the stories are like, it's just one crushing event after another. And so the reality is, and as I've shared some of my testimony is, is I kind of walk out of that and realize some of it is still like needing for healing. Some of it is things that's buried that I don't want to share with anybody. Some of us are way more personal than others. So I'm one of those guys that, you know, even some of my best friends, there's still things that they don't know about me. I think it was, uh, I think it was Micah. We'd, we'd had a close relationship, friendship, and it was... I, I even forget what it was about right at the moment, but later on, sometime in the last few weeks, we had been talking, and he said, I didn't even know that about you. And it was a part of my testimony, if I remember right. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. It's like I even held back some, and some of it's not intentional, but it just happens. So I'm going to give you an illustration. Um, Mike, could I actually have you uh, come up here and help me for a minute? This is going to be probably the only time that you go to church and somebody uses a, uh, a chainsaw for illustration, but I think this will be perfect. So, Mike, this uh, chainsaw, you're familiar with using one of these, right? Yeah. Some of the safety and stuff behind it. So, one thing you're going to know about a chainsaw is it, it's risky. But why do we use it? If it's risky and it could cost me my life or one of the most serious injuries I've ever had, why would I ever use one of these? So, Mike, if I didn't know how to use this, I, this is my first time, but I'm getting ready to go out in the woods and cut with it, what would you tell me that I should do with this thing in order to be safe? Don't point that at someone. Don't point it at someone. Any other suggestions that you'd give to me? Out Put on chaps. There we go. Figure out what to cut and where it might fall. Where it falls. So have a way of escape, right? Okay, that's good. It'll kick on you. So There's a kick, so should I hold it like this? Yeah. Yeah, like that. Or a little bit more to the side. So when you're actually cutting, I actually had a good friend tell me that was when you're cutting, you want to hold it more to the side. The other way is when you start it um, is... Some guys will hold it like this and just jam it down and pull it up. And most of the time, you're all right. But there can be something happen, that thing kick back and hit you, 
in one second, one second from this blade, what would it do to you? Make you bloody, right? So they actually say hold it between your leg and pull it like this. You have more control over it. Anything else you'd want to tell me? Um, if you can hire somebody, have them do it instead. Right. <laughs> okay, thanks, Mike. That's all I needed you for. So I'll actually leave this there for a minute. So here's a few facts. Three million of these things are sold, approximately three million annually. So between gas and electric, they sell three million of them. I don't know if that includes yard sales and everything else, but so this is a high demand machine, and out of that three million, thirty-six thousand, somewhere around there, there's either if injuries or fatal injuries that happen as a result of using these. So they're risky. Now my wife, she doesn't want me to go out in the woods and use one of these things. So what's interesting is is that um, this thing, I've had some close calls with one. And I know probably a very a handful of people who have. It's risky. I want to tell you something about vulnerability. It's just as risky as putting one of these in your hands. And the less you know about how about relationships and how to be vulnerable and how to work into that relationship, the more risky it is. And the more unskilled the person, the lack, the lack of knowledge that a person has to hold a chainsaw is just as bad as it is the lack of knowledge in how to have close relationships. And so relationships are probably the, aside from our life with Jesus, our personal relationships with one another are the biggest thing that we have in life. There isn't your home. I mean, I know we've worked hard for it. Uh, there isn't anything that you've worked hard for in life. There isn't anything you're going to retire with. There isn't any amount of money after you die that you give to anybody else. There isn't any insurance or job experience. No matter how big it is, that's as important as the relationships that we have with people. And this is the place right now with us where our best relationships are supposed to be. Our closest relatives are with each other. And so now we have to ask ourselves, do we want to take this tool of vulnerability and do we want to use it for the reward that we give? Now, I'd heard a joke one time, actually a couple times. Guy goes into a saw shop to buy a uh, chainsaw and he'd heard it advertised that he could cut... Uh, two or three cords of wood um, a day with it. And so he's like, I want to try one. And brand new to him, never experienced it. He goes in, buys one. He goes out and he comes back frustrated. And he said, this is worse than any other, the saw that I, the handsaw I used to use. What's wrong with it? And the guy over the counter takes it, starts it up, fires it up, and it roars. And then the, the other guy says, what's the noise? What's that noise? Let's just say you need to start it in order to run it. So the, the key is, is that some of us don't know how to use it at all. And I would say relationships are probably the most important that we can have. And so 
we want to talk about here, with this, we want knowledge, we want to be careful, we want to be safe, and we want proper application. So when I talk about vulnerability, um, what do you guys think of? When you, when you hear me mention the idea of vulnerability, what is what the first thing that comes to mind? Getting hurt? Betrayal? Uncomfortable. That's great. Yeah, it is uncomfortable, right? Anything else? Some other thoughts behind vulnerability. What comes to mind? What's that? Easy. Vulnerability, easy? Oh, to share their information, right? Or easy to share it with? Some people are easy to share their, your information with. There's a couple different ways that can be. So some people are way easy. Like they're just the kind of person that invites you to be vulnerable. And then some people are just really open with their information. <laughs> it's like uh, that's not necessarily vulnerability. Honesty is not vulnerability necessarily. So what are some positive things that you can think of that happens through vulnerability? It was interesting that Almost universally, we had come up with the difficult part of it. What's some of the positive things that come out of vulnerability? Trust. If it's a good relationship, absolutely. Trust. Growth in relationship. You know, it's interesting. The Bible talks about oneness of mind. Be of one mind and one heart. I, I, I just try to picture, is, is it possible to have a one mind and one heart without being vulnerable and close toward one another. Here's a few quotes I would like to share with you on this. Just a few that I've looked up. Uh, have people in your life that will chase you and come after you with love when you are struggling or not at your best. Independence, fear, and pride all keep us from the deep relationships that we need with God and His people. It is so important that we have people in our lives that we trust more than we trust ourselves. Do you have a relationship with someone you would trust with your life? If that person told you that you have a problem and you were blind to it, would you believe that person, though it did not feel true? We need to build these kinds of relationships to keep us safe so we can live on the radical edge. And then the last one, the truest help we can render an afflicted man is not to take his burden from him, but to call out his best strength that he may be able to bear it. <clears throat> so I've had numerous times in my life when I had to give an account. Somebody in my life was close enough to me to know that I was struggling, that I was failing, that I was having an issue that I wasn't getting over. And um, you know, I'm sure we've probably all here in this congregation met somebody who had a drinking problem. And when you're addicted to something like that, one of the things you know is, is that they don't help themselves. When you're in the midst of that struggle, I don't care if it's a spiritual struggle or an addiction or something like that, I've never met anybody who's good at helping themselves through those situations. So when we have a brother come along or a sister come near to us that's close enough to see us in that struggle, one thing about it is love says, I, I want to be there to do something for you. And so 
when you're in that struggle, is it easy to be honest? When somebody confronts you in something that you're struggling with, is it easy to be honest? No, it's my struggle. One of the things that usually happens there is um, I'm struggling over something not because it's good or it's right. I'm struggling over something because I don't feel right about it. I don't like it. Um, and most of the time it is probably involved in a personal relationship. So when I have a personal relationship struggle, you know, we've I've been married for uh, 13 years. 16 years. I was waiting for a reaction. <laughs> and uh, in that, it's not been all perfect and easy. And my truest relationship is with my wife. And so the thing about it is because we live so close together, she she sees things that she doesn't like. And uh, I mean, I know that surprises you, but there's things there that just, or things that it doesn't it doesn't fit her personality, or things when it comes to the togetherness of our marriage and what it means to be married and how we have to make decisions together. She's going to find that this is difficult, and you need to make a change. Well, you know, generally speaking, if somebody tells me an area where I need to change, that's the part that when I push them away. I don't want the person in my life, but I do want the person in my life that's going to be there to tell me when there's something that needs to change. One of the best things I ever did with my boss was at work, I said, give me criticism. Tell me what you think you see needs to change. And then listen to it, receive it, and then apply it. And I realized for myself is in a marriage situation, probably more than any other, but there's lots of situations that are like that, that the, this, the relationship with the person that you have that kind of uh, relationship to, I struggle to let somebody have that place in my life. But when somebody does get that place in my life, I don't open up with immediate honesty. You know, I want to I wanna defend myself. I, I didn't, you know, my, uh, my intention was good. My intention was pure. And so we'll talk about our intention because we want them to know, you know, even though it didn't turn out the way I intended for it to turn out, my intention was that it was supposed to be something different. I didn't intend your hurt. I didn't intend you know, this situation to result from it, but that's what happened. And then there's a call beyond that point of defending yourself and to humbly receive what the other person is saying and examine the truth behind that. And so I've asked, I kind of asked myself the reason behind one of the, uh, marriage is struggling because this is one of those areas of humility that we really do struggle with more than we realize. And so, in 16 years, I think the thing that's challenged me the most is when I feel offended, to step back and try and understand her angle. So vulnerability in that sense makes it hard 
because I have to let go of me. I have to let go of my emotions. I have to let go of my feelings of being vindicated somehow. And I have to listen to the truth that's being said. And it's actually kind of funny because if we watch a movie or we see something on a video and it's a thing between a man and his wife and uh, there's a struggle there, I point out through the movie, I was like, this is what the lady's going through. This is her struggle. This is what she's, she's trying to communicate to him. And, you know, a lot of times in those movies, they're getting it. I wish that we lived that kind of life, that I was a perfect movie, but I'm not. I'm not a perfect movie. So the challenge is this, is that vulnerable relationships are risky. They can be hurtful. And we can go from the experience of the past. Now, having used this, I haven't had any major injuries. But what happens the first time I get a major injury? Do I quit? And a lot of us have. A lot of us have said no, not to unity. We've said no to vulnerability because of an injury from the past. But what's amazing is you get these guys that are going out in the woods and they love the experience. They love cutting wood. I'm not one of those guys. I like it, but I don't love it. And so they will, after having either cut their leg off, put a scar. I mean, it's like it's almost like a proof of manhood that they've got a scar on their leg or somewhere on their body from cutting wood. And after that, these guys aren't afraid to go back out there. They're not afraid of the risk that they're taking because they're trying to imagine what it'd be like to haul in all of that wood without this thing. I got to thinking, if we understand there is a risk, but we're willing to risk against the risk. We have faith that God has something in this. And I think part of that is, is that we need a vision for the reward of what it means to have close relationships. If the church were just so united of one heart and one mind, if we were that close, what would the reward be? What would we be seeing that we don't see? What would be the blessing and the expression of God in each of our lives what would happen to my personal growth? What would happen to you in growing with God? So it's kind of like, let's take this tool out and figure out what it'd be like to do church without vulnerability. Well, we see a lot of examples of that falling to pieces. But there may be a time when a man won't use one of those, but it's probably because either he decided, decided that he's too old, he's too dangerous using it, or he decided that somebody else can do a better job and he has the money to pay him to do it. But no matter how you look at it, you're still going to use the saw because they understand the reward outweighs the risk. But I think when I talk about the idea of vulnerability, I think I got one of the most difficult things because we have broken relationships. Some of the most severe and most difficult ones. And I'm basically trying to put a new twist on it and say, make that risk one more time. Go out there one more time and take that risk and see if this person that you risk that with is a person you can trust. 
and know what the blessing of that will be in your life. So one of the things I want to point out is in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. I want to talk about this is true fellowship or genuine fellowship. Um, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. This isn't an individual thing, because the thing about it is, go back into Joshua, go back with Achan. Remember the story, they were fighting the battle, and, and Achan had sinned, and then the battle was lost. Joshua went to prayer, and God says that it's Achan that's the problem. The whole of Israel, the whole of God's people were affected by one person. So we realize that your relationship with God individually, my wife's relationship, Mike's relationship with God, Tina's relationship with God, all of ours individually is a corporate thing. Like the closer you walk with God, the healthier the church is. And so genuine fellowship comes from vulnerability. I know that scripture doesn't say it, but I have to ask the question, beg to ask the question, how do we walk in the light if we can't be honest with one another? If we can't be accountable toward one another? How can we honestly walk in the light if there's things hidden in our life that we can't share with other people because of? Um, the other part to this is, is that it'll help you meet the expectations that you have. You have expectations that you feel like God has on your life, and I can only be a helpful instrument to that. And when somebody loves you and you know that, those are the people you trust. The other thing is, it's difficult for pastors to move in this direction, but this is really what their dream is. We don't dream of large churches. We don't dream of having huge ministries. Because all it does a lot of times is feel like it's a corporation of a, a, a huge business. And we don't really know a lot of times I mean, ask yourself, the pastors that have large churches, how well do they know the people that are listening to those ministries? How close are they to them? And probably, I would say even in small churches, we don't feel closely knit to most of our people, but this is our dream. It isn't our dream just to be closely knit with each one person, but the dream is, is that the church is so close, so knit together, that there's no friendships on earth that are as close as your friendships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you've had to work through difficult things because of brothers and sisters. Ask a person, how are you doing today? What are they going to tell you? What am I going to tell you if you ask me how I'm doing? I'm good. Am I really? I'm going to be honest. I'll just say for myself, I say I'm good. There's a lot of days it doesn't feel like that. I'll tell you that I'm feeling good, but I've often thought about this. And I'm like, I lied to them, or I'm not being honest. But why am I, what is my, what is my struggle there? Why am I not being honest? And I think you guys agree with this. I'm not sure that they're ready for it. <laughs> I'm not sure that you're ready to listen to me unload what's been going on. 
So I'm going to say, you know, for your benefit, I'm going to tell you that. So the next best step that we can do as those who care for one another is say, ask them a little bit deeper. Like, you sure that there's everything's good? Like, pry a little bit more. Draw a little bit more out of them because, you know, you want them to feel comfortable. But I think the other part of it is is that um, when it comes to me saying I'm okay, it's me wanting to believe I'm doing better than I really am. And so I don't feel like I like where I'm at, but I'm not ready to admit that's where I'm at. So I don't tell other people that. The other thing is, is that for the most of the time, our relationships, unless they're really close and we're close relationships, what usually happens is we're sitting in somebody's home. We're sitting in their, in their living room. That's where this usually happens, not here, but in the living room. And we're sitting in their living room or they're sitting in ours. And then we start having normal conversation. But in the midst of that, then we start asking the more deep and personal questions. Now, not just anybody gets that invite into your life. But I think what I'm trying to say is is that I think we need to start considering bringing more people into that. Um, So I'm the guy that usually asks the questions because I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to. I had a scenario where Micah and I sat in this this back corner. And so this is my story. I'll tell you my story here. Micah had been struggling with me, good friend, but he'd been struggling with me over this area of ministry for quite a while. And um, there was always kind of a logical reason for the struggle. of Like, I just can't, you know... Fridays aside, because I got stuff to do at home that's not getting done at home. That was the logical side. But there was more to it for me than that. And we sat down together, and he began to ask some very pointed questions. And he began to share some information that only he could say to me at the time. And he was like, this is what I feel and see. And it was like, it is the point of, if you want to be a real friend, he wanted to be a real friend to me, but he knew the risk of, I can offend him, I can make him mad, and I can totally drive him away from this. And those are the kinds of questions he was asking me. Before it was all over, I was in tears, I was broken, and I just felt like I'd been trying to hold up an image that wasn't real of me. And I was like, why am I always trying to be the tough guy? Why am I always trying to be strong for everybody else? when I just need to weep here, I just need to break. And I sat there, and in those moments, there was something that released. There was tension. There was spiritual struggle. There was unrest over my mind that I needed him to ask those those arrow-like questions that were piercing. I have to answer it, and I don't want to answer it. I don't like to answer it. But you're piercing me with your questions. But what pierces me is, is that I know that you care about me. And you're going to ask me those questions. So recently I told my wife, I said, you know, I feel like the Lord is using something else as an accountability thing to me. And it was this, that to listen to what's not being said. (laughs) And so there's been some individuals, it's their quietness that was worrying me. It was what they weren't saying that was bothering me. 
And you know, it wasn't what I thought that they were saying. It was all the things I was saying to myself. It's like, I wonder if they're thinking this. I wonder if they thought this about me. I wonder if da-da-da-da-da-da. And I went through all that question, and the thing I realized is I was judging myself because of their silence. They weren't saying anything, but I felt like this relationship should not be void of vocal uh, interjection here. You shouldn't be not saying something to me. So why are you not talking to me? And in when I got that feeling, there was something about everything, every monster in my own conscience rising up and whatever my own accusations against me were what stand up. And this is what hit me. It was like, I felt like giving up. I felt like quitting. I felt like being done because I had those things in my mind. And the Lord showed me, this is why it's hard. Because it feels like a personal attack. Even your own mind is a personal attack against you. And yet, will you be vulnerable to that feeling of attack and let it correct you? Will you let it bring conviction into your life? Will you let it, instead of cause you to cancel your appointments, move you forward to the direction of obedience that God's calling you to? See, I think one of the reasons why rebuke is hard is because rebuke comes from a pulpit a lot of times. But really, the rebuke of the friend, somebody to sit down with us. I've been struggling about this in prayer. I've been thinking about you. And I can't get it off my mind. I see your struggle. And I wanted to just stay away. But I have to tell you. I have to bring this to your... This is in private. This is between me and you. And I'm doing that, not because I'm judging you, but because I love you. And I, I know that if I'm going to grow the next step, I need somebody to be that for me. I need the Lord's voice too, but His voice is often along with this. And all I can say is, is most of the time our emotions, and even men, our emotions get over the top of what God is really saying. God is really saying something. And we are emotional and we can't listen. We run into this a lot in our home with our kids. And I never realized as you're transitioning from like, you know, the baby stages to more like the the teenage stages and growing on, that there's going to be a mixture of emotions you can't sort through. So all I can say is this, is that I oftentimes realize there's an emotional trauma that I'm dealing with. You know, all of a sudden, you know, emotional eruption. And so I say, okay, so let's calm down and let's work through this. And usually when the emotional trauma calms down, then all of a sudden I'm able to do the correcting. I'm able to get them back on track. We notice that a lot of times in our lives, and I realize, like, Lord, this is me too. Like, I get caught up in some emotional stream, and then I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to my emotions. I'm listening to my feelings at the moment. And I'm all angry, or I'm all uh, sad, or whatever the case is, and I'm not listening to you. So oftentimes when some, so what I realize is that they usually require me or somebody else to come in and help move them out of the emotional state and get them back to the place of thinking. And when they do, we're usually able to work very quickly in getting things readjusted. Well, 
when you've been hurt, the emotional is very strong because of the pain that gets in there. And so one of the things I want to emphasize this is it needs to be saved. So number one, the goal is in verse 12 in Ephesians chapter 4, this is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the goal is to mature, not to hurt and manipulate. It's not about hurt or manipulate. And people need us to be that. And so what I've realized is that I have to go through my past pain to be a healer to somebody else. So I can't be letting my past eat me up in order to be the hands and the feet of Christ to somebody else. So Lord, I need that healing. The goal of it is, is that it's to, it's to help us perfect and mature. Um, vulnerability generally doesn't last longer than the first offense. We have to realize that. The moment somebody feels offended and hurt by you, whether it was your intention or not, it usually doesn't last longer than that. Do everything you can to build trust and handle sensitively information with extreme care, especially in these little communities. You don't need to let everybody's information out. You, you handle it with very care. Oftentimes we don't even say names. There's times I'm afraid to even share somebody else's situation or something I'm knowledgeable of, even if I take the name out, because I don't know that that's not going to get to somebody else. That's the moment when we've just taken the safety out of the whole thing. We have to be very careful, very godly how we carry this sensitive information. Trust is slow and pain of the past is slower to trust. So be patient. You're going to have sometimes the situations where it takes a while to get beyond that for somebody to know and trust you. We've had months, we've actually had a year's space of time with one particular person that took like a year for them to trust us, to really believe that we weren't going to abandon them. Listening well is important. I can't, ex I can't overemphasize that. It's not our counsel most of the time. Sometimes it's our ears. When somebody knows that you're listening to them, that's, healed, that's done a lot for my marriage is when I do. When I listen, it's a huge impact for her. And when she listens, it's a huge impact for me. Then oftentimes, because you've listened well, you can speak well too. Vulnerability introduces a level of love and trust that strengthens the church. Just want to remember that. There's nothing, no tool that could be greater than doing that. Strengthens the church. Risk is always involved, and the one who ventures out a second and a third time after past injuries shows an example of gospel grace, seldom lived, and radical faith in God's will to unite his people. I'm going to say that one more time because if I have anything in this sermon, I want it to be understood at least that. Risk is always involved, and the one who ventures out a second and a third time after past injury shows an example of gospel grace seldom lived and radical faith in God's will to unite his people. This is so beautiful. God's will to unite. I'm willing. Man, I've been injured by pastor so-and-so. I've been hurt by this person. This person has gotten my life, and they've, they've left a mark. You know, imagine you cut yourself with a chainsaw. You're going to have a scar for life. But because not despite all of that, I have faith in God's will to unite his people. And so that scar is not going to stop me from making the next attempt with you and the next attempt with you and the next attempt with you of 
having that bonded relationship that I tried with somebody else and it failed with me. It hurt me. It bruised me. It cut me bad. But it's not going to stop me. I think of Paul when he talks about the gospel. And he said, We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not despair. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. But there's this man that just will not quit. Why? Because he knew that God's plan was far greater than the injuries that he experienced in trying to act out that plan. And we're going to face it. I mean, re the reality is we're going to have to have those challenges. And so, you know, one of my challenges to, to you guys is, is look for that person. Pray about that person in your life that needs you to be more serious with them, to need you to be more direct with them. And understand they might be offended with you. I've had people that confronted me when they did out of love, despite the fact that they did it out of love, I was offended, I was angry, and I walked away frustrated. But it was a later I began to let the conviction get into me, and they were the person that I, I loved the most. I'll tell you why we love them the most. We love the person who's willing to risk their friendship with us, willing to relation willing to risk the the happiness of continued peace and joy with us for our own betterment and when you find somebody in your life that's willing to do just that for you when you come onto the other side and you realize that everything they did was to help you to restore you to strengthen you to help you walk closer to God and nobody else offered that because believe me the, the 90% of people in our life generally speaking they're not, they're, there's only going to be one or two percent of those people who are willing to take that risk with you. And when you come to the side of the beauty of God's grace, display in your life, corrected from something that was wrong before you and the Lord, the Lord chastened you through it, and you realize they took that risk. They risked everything because they truly loved you. So let's pray for those relationships. I want to pray for that here in this church. I want to pray for those. There's others that can't be here today, but they want that too. They want this to be our prayers. Lord Jesus, we pray you would make us so close toward one another that these are the, these are the relationships of Jonathan and David, that they're, they're so close that there's no love in, in any other space of the world as compared to this love. Jesus said, you will, they will know, they will know that you are mine because of the love that you have for one another. I'll lay my life down for somebody who's, who's going to let me be vulnerable with them. I'm going to lay my life down for somebody who says, not only am I going to be there, when, I'm going to tell you something, but when you're broken and hurt and there's nobody else in your life, nobody that will be there, not just to confront you, but to be there to listen to you and to pray for you. I'll be there. I'll lay my life down for you. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're not there just to do church with me. You're there to love me. You're there to make sure, along with yourself, that you're running the race well, like Mike said last week. We want to run it well. 
And the only people, I'm going to say this emphatically, the only people that help us run the race well are those we can be vulnerable with. Because it's that, that stopping point. God, I'll run for you until this. And it's that person that's going to be that corrective process in your life that's going to get you beyond that point. That's what God has called us to be as a body of Christ, to love one another that deeply. It's not just about our struggles. Even when we're growing leaps and bounds, what it is to have somebody that's so close to you that prays deeply with you. You know, out of all things, I would say this. My deepest desire, the thing that I wanted the most and I've run for in different ways, is to just have somebody to pray with. And I've enjoyed it. There's been great times. My best times as a Christian, my best times in ministry altogether were with somebody that we met. There was one brother, I met with him at 4 o'clock in the morning. There was a few times even 3 o'clock in the morning. We prayed together. When I sat down with Pastor Micah when he first came to this ministry and we prayed together, there was such a beautiful relationship. There was things that we could share with one another because things broke in that prayer time. There's resistances and pride that broke when we prayed together. We spent time together. I had times just the same with Mike. There's things that he said to me that has been so refreshing, so helpful in going forward. And I've loved it. And it's not the pastor just doing the ministry. It's people ministering to us too, right? And so we love those times. And I, I, I think of it as like, this is unity to me. This is unity. Somebody that I have. And the more people that I can truly trust that kind of relationship, that's the kingdom of God to me. Not that we're running to everybody, but we know that we have security in that. And so I think of it like this. The risk is actually the security. The risk is our security. Because it wouldn't be risky if it wasn't worth fighting for. I wouldn't do it without... The risk shows me something. Father, thank you. Lord, I know that this is important, but this is different than just just what I've said. God, this is something that as we go downstairs, this is something that Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week, we're going to have to find a way to do this. <laughs> and Lord, it's not that we're not doing it with some. We just need to do it with others. And so, God, I just pray for this depth in our relationship with you and with one another, God. And there's something that you're going to do. We can't make it happen. Because I know there's people who, despite the fact that they know it's good, Lord, are going to struggle to do it. But I thank you for it. Jesus, I thank you for the restoring process. Actually, I would say this. There's things that I would never have been able to be restored from unless somebody had done this for me. And I know that there's other people that, had I not done it for them, wouldn't have been as well off either. So, Jesus, would you solidify this in our lives? God, thank you for the beauty of the unity of the body of Christ. But, Lord, we're not just members of a church. We don't just come to a building and join, Lord, together for this service. Lord, we meant to be uh, brothers and sisters that love deeply one another. So, Lord, help us do this. And, God, 
in the future. We just pray that this sermon, Lord, will continue to bless us in our endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Lord, there's such a need for it, such a need right now. And I thank you. Holy Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. You know, before we go down and, and have um, our, our potluck together, I kind of like to take a time at the end of the service if I can. Is there anything that you guys want to share? Here we've shared a message. It's probably in different ways touched you. Is there something that you would like to share, something that comes to mind? So she was feeling grateful. That's great, sweetie. I always love, I love her, her, her love for the Lord. 